there are so many other opportunities that just aren't advertised, they're not promoted. You just kind of have to know and have to fall into this amazing um, world of the travel industry and you know, see all the opportunities that, that are available. Welcome to Hostel Homies, a podcast focused on the best parts of backpacker culture. I'm your host, Joe Glasgow. Each week I sit down with a new guest, ranging from the people I meet while I'm abroad to professionals who work in the travel industry. Listen along as they share hilarious and inspiring travel stories, unparalleled recommendations on where to go, and tips for seeing the world on a budget. For Hostel Homies, it's all about the journey, the destination, and the people you meet along the way. sitting down the first Hostel Homies episode in the New York home studio with Waja Dubey. Waja, how are you? Good, thanks. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You are coming from an Arsenal game. You had some good hanging, boozing, singing earlier. I, I did. I did. You know, it was, uh, it was a horrible loss. We've had a horrible season, but, you know, Arsenal is still my team, so. You, you still know, had a good time. Still had a good time with, yeah. with the crew. Who is, who is your Arsenal crew? Oh my gosh, it's a collection of people that I've known for about uh, eight years now that we met at the Blind Pig, shout out to the Blind Pig, and uh, now we congregate over at O'Hanlon's, uh, which is kind of for the hardcores, like you might want to have a tattoo, you know, if you're going to walk <laughs> you got one. Well, you got one I, on your arm, I yeah. do have my tattoo, yep, it's all done yes. by Alex McWatt over at Three Kings, so, you know, it's a kind of a thing. Yes, <laughs> yes, so you've been repping that team since living out in London, and... Yeah, since a child. Just briefly take us through where all you've lived, because I know it's oh, I know yeah. it's a good amount of places. Yeah, it's a few places. Um, so, like I said, born in Belgium. Uh, then I was in Botswana, uh, London. Uh, so I was in England. I was in China, uh, and then New York as well, Hawaii, um, and then kind of in and out. Done DC for a little bit. Kind of been all around uh, Sweden. I think I forgot that one. So Damn. yeah, a few places. <laughs> Uh, where are we now? And then, of course, yeah, and then back in New York. So I've lived in New York like three times, London twice, mm -hmm. you know, all around. And were you always, after after university, you went in uh, Hawaii, right? Yes. Okay, so yeah. after that, were you always working in travel? I was, yeah. Okay. yeah. So actually, it's, it started actually in, in uh, I studied uh, travel industry management okay. at Hawaii Pacific mm -hmm. University in Honolulu. Shout out to the Sharks. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, but actually, the funny thing is, I was doing PR at the time. Okay. So I was studying PR as my freshman year, and I took uh, hospitality as my first elective. Mm -hmm. And I'm just a very chatty guy, as I'm sure as you know, mm -hmm. uh, a chatty guy in class. And so I just took it as one of my, you know, like throwaway classes. And my professor, Dr. Grusa, was just like, he actually told me to stay after class one day. And I was like, oh, God, I'm in trouble. Right. Here it goes again, you know, for talking too much or something. <laughs> yeah. And he said I wasn't on his roster and that I should change over to his major. And I said, okay, well, you know, whatever, I'll do that. And so I did. And now I'm, I've been in travel for over 12 years. It was just this guy saying, were, were you into the class as it was? Like, were you I, into the yeah, idea Yeah, I liked it? it. It came very natural to me. Um, funnily enough, a lot of what I studied does not apply to what I do now. But okay. if it wasn't for that weird serendipitous moment who knows what i would have done uh but yeah it was completely completely random he got me into it and then mm -hmm. i did my internships uh going home to botswana mm -hmm. and i'd work at a safari lodge called uh, chobe game lodge oh, cool. um and so i worked there for two summers so what kind of stuff were you doing out there guest relations okay 
I thought I was going to be a GM at a hotel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought, you know, being a GM would be a great route to res- I am not a good hotel person. I can do the other side. Yeah. My friends who did hotel management, they are my heroes. But not for me. I did they just have to deal with how? It's a lot. We just deal with different types of, uh, it's different types of uh, interactions with different types of folks. And uh, I work on the travel side more so than on the hotel side now. But I learned that only because I tried to do that for two summers and it was not for me. Okay. <laughs> so good, good to find out early. Uh, and good to find out early. Yeah. Um, luckily, I met my, the first company that hired me was there visiting the hotel I was working at. Ah, there you go. And they were based in the States. And I was going to graduate in a year. So I asked them if I could interview for a job and they hired me. And through that, I moved back to New York to work in travel. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's where I, I've, I've been uh, in this side of the industry for the past 10 years. Man, very yeah. cool. And you were telling me you recently switched to a new company, a startup, right? Yeah. yeah. I'd say we're, we're a young company. Okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. think we're in the startup stage anymore. Um, yeah, I'm with a great company called Index Select now. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've always done has been, uh, well, what I've done for the past about seven years now has been representation. Uh, working with marketing and sales for uh, properties and, and tour companies abroad and doing their marketing and sales for them here in, in North America. Okay. So I just left my old, com- my old firm and joined these guys to work in my own portfolio for African product, uh, which has been absolutely amazing. Uh, and so I'm you know, sticking back to what I love, which is uh, going back home, selling Africa to just you know, great enthusiasts of, of African travel and mm-hmm. getting back to my safari game. Uh, trying to reach my 800 safaris by 35. What number are you at? I mean, I, it's more of a, of a guess now, but it's definitely about 600, wow. give or take, you know. And this is, you're usually working on them, or is this a mix of both? Uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing a mix of everything now. Okay. But, uh, but my love is the, is the safari game, you know. But I love selling Africa as a continent, you know, with 54 countries. There's so much to see of Africa that people just don't know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I love my job being the person that gets to explain and expose the continent to so many people. I see. So when you're saying you're selling African product, does that mean you're, you're just showing them these new places? Or is there a specific actual like tangible objects that you're selling them? Uh, tangible objects. Okay. Um, I work with uh, a collection of hotels mm-hmm. uh, and properties throughout Africa, as well as tour companies. Uh, that sell African tours in East and Southern Africa. Mm-hmm. So I, I work with people on the ground that are creating these amazing experiences for people, um, you know, every day. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just amazing uh, luxury travel uh, packages and, and vacations that, you know, these people from North America want to go on when they want to, you know, get their African bucket list yeah, trip. Sure. Or whether it's the first or it's their 10th, whatever. Uh, I work with the companies that can facilitate that for them. What is like an average travel package that you offer? Uh, you know, the average, I'd like to say for Africa, uh, per person, person usually probably wants to have about 3.5 to 5K okay. for a great trip for like two weeks. And so what, yeah, Africa. what's that getting you like specifically in those two weeks? Uh, you know, it depends on where you're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like to talk about different types of routes. Uh, the first one, which is the most popular, is definitely doing a Southern African route, a mix of South Africa mm-hmm. with, you know, your safari, uh, doing in maybe Kruger National Park or places like that, uh, Cape Town, Johannesburg, uh, coming to Botswana where I'm from mm-hmm. and doing your authentic safaris in maybe the Okavago Delta or Chobe where I used to work or going to places like Zambia, Zimbabwe with Victoria Falls and Luangwa 
and you know if you're really adventurous, well, you know, or you just want some beach time, uh, head over to Mozambique for the beach on the Indian Ocean, or mm -hmm. heading over to Namibia to go hike those dunes and to see uh, Namibia, which is such a different place. Or you can head over and do East Africa mm -hmm. and do a mix of your Kenya, Tanzania, safari, maybe guerrilla trekking in Uganda, Rwanda, you know, the beaches of Zanzibar, getting the culture in Ethiopia, um, you know, and a mix of everything there. So there's a, a million options you can go for. Okay. And that's just two regions of a lot of a bit of a much bigger continent. And so are you working on kind of the pre-production? You're talking with these people on exactly what they want to do and helping them schedule it all out? Exactly. And then yes. are you are you joining them a lot of the time on these? Uh, no, I don't join. The, I don't actually see the end user most of the time. Okay. I get to help the travel consultants. Okay. Uh, I work with a B2B scale. So I help the travel consultants create these amazing trips for their clients. Um, you know, once in a while, you know, my, my Travel consultant friends might ask me to jump on a call, okay. but uh, you know, unless unless they don't need me to do that, I will actually never see the end user. But I've got to picture who they are mm -hmm. and create their trip in my mind and what I would love if I was them, and then help that travel consultant build that. You know. So is this is this you kind of basing it off of like if they're reminding you of your friends or is absolutely it, is it like stuff like that? Yes, yeah, so if that was my friend or if that was if those were my parents, mm -hmm. if it was my honeymoon. Right. You know, whatever it may be, if I wanted to take a group of my friends on, you know, an amazing trip of culture and food and whatever, how would I do it? That's so awesome. So, yeah. are you getting to travel a lot for work? Or are you mostly based in in New York and working uh, out of here? I'm about on the road about every other week. Every other week, give or take. Um, like I was talking before with you, um, I'm headed to Southern Africa mm -hmm. in a couple of weeks, so that'll be great. Go to see some new product and. Go see the camps and get back to safaris and That's you know so awesome. go uh, go go see my animals again. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of animals, our mutual friend had told us that you have a, a specifically funny story regarding monkeys, and I brought this up oh, to you man. earlier, and you said which one. No, oh, gosh. So <laughs> I want to hear at least one of these hilarious monkey stories, or you said yes. romantic monkey. Oh stories no, yeah, you. I've got one in particular because. Uh, my like I told you before, my brother's wedding is coming up, mm -hmm. and I thought about this story, and I pitched it to him, and he loved it and hated it at the same time. So I will tell you. Please. Uh, <laughs> so I was out at this is actually where I used to work when I this is the summer that I met the company that was gonna give me my first job, and I was on safari, and I we're we're driving on this. These are game drives. So we do these for about two hours, two to about three hours, in, in the bush. Okay. You know, seeing all the animals, um, you know, the, all the animals are wild. So we're out there just in our vehicle looking at the animals. And uh, we're by the river, the Chobe River, which separates Botswana from Namibia. Mm -hmm. And we're driving there. It's almost close to sunset. We're driving and I see these two baboons sitting on the edge of this little hill. Or whatever you could call it, embankment. Actually, an embankment. They're sitting on the edge of this embankment watching the sun go down. And this baboon has, I'm assuming it was the he, his arm around the other, ba the other baboon's shoulder. Like there were a couple going on their first date. Oh, and I was man. sitting there and I just, and I have a photo of it, of them just going on this baboon date. Yeah, yeah. With the sun going down and it looked very romantic. So I that's, told- That's incredibly right, romantic, yeah. Right, that's amazing, it's yeah. so romantic. And so I told my brother this story and said, you know what, I really, I told him, listen, I, I was thinking about a story for your wedding I want to tell. Mm -hmm. And I thought about this one and I wrote it down and said, I want to pitch it to you. 
And he said, okay. And I told him the story. And he goes, first off, that's great. Very romantic. Mm -hmm. But you must be out of your damn mind if you think, I'm going to let you tell a story about my wife and relating her, or my future wife, and relating her to a baboon. <laughs> at her wedding. <laughs> at her wedding. Uh, at, her, at her most important day. Uh, and so, in hindsight, yes, very true. Uh, but... Great story, uh, which I will never be able to tell. So I'm happy I can share that with you. I'm happy too. Uh, can we uh, at some point see the picture? Can you send it to me, and I may can share it? Oh, on absolutely. The, on the site? I can find that photo. Okay. If you're oh, listening yeah. to this, there will be the picture on the Instagram <laughs> posted with the episode. Absolutely. Of the romantic baboons. But in general, um, if, if there's anything I tell my clients, it's about how much we love monkeys. Everyone loves monkeys. Mm -hmm. They're adorable, especially if it's a vervet monkey. It's, if it's a baboon, whatever. Um, to anyone who will uh, take anything from this interview, it is that um, don't trust vervet monkeys. Don't trust monkeys <laughs> with your stuff. They will rob you blind. <laughs> this is true. This is like a very the, real thing. This yeah? is the thing. I've been robbed twice. Uh, and there's plenty of videos you can find on YouTube of baboons that go into your car and will rob you of your yeah. food and all the, anything shiny. So just, you know, lock your doors. Mm -hmm. uh, don't trust them. They are adorable. We all love them. Just, you know. Take them, like, treat them like the people we see on the subway here in New York. Sure. Just, sure. you know, with a grain of salt. You love them. But don't trust them. But maybe don't trust you them. Know. Yeah. Don't leave your bag open. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't leave your shiny shit around the monkeys. I'm just saying. I've heard, so this, I'm assuming, because you haven't, you haven't done the Southeast Asia area yet, right? No, I've not. So I'm not. assuming you're seeing a lot of these monkeys when you're in Africa, right? Yes. Most of my monkey stories are, are, from, are from Africa, mm -hmm. from everything from Morocco down to South Africa. Okay. And it's the same uh, story of don't trust those goddamn monkeys. <laughs> Because uh, they will rob you. They will rob you of your shit. <laughs> it's the same story. It doesn't matter where you go. I got. I almost got my chain when I used to wear chains when I was in my younger cell, in my younger days. Yeah. Got robbed in Morocco from this baboon, and ever since then I knew. Can't trust those bastards. Can't trust monkeys. And also maybe don't wear chains. I think it was also, a sign. <laughs> I think he was telling me something. <laughs> that was the one good monkey out he, there. She had fashion tips, but beyond my years. He, so he had a roundabout way of doing it, but he was he was really trying to help you out. The message hit home. <laughs> By the time I got home, there was no chain. Like even if if you wear puka shells around monkeys, they will take them off. Yeah, I think if you wear puka shells, the monkey should not only rip it off, but also punch you in the face or bite you. You might get rabies, but you know what? You might deserve it. You might. You if might you're past twenty one, have a puka shell necklace. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you just have to get duffed. Even everyone on the, the tour with them, on the safari, is like, yeah, yeah, no, that should happen. I think they would clap. Yeah, that's like when you see like the Lion King type of thing, when everyone's like, when Simba's born, everyone's kind of like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what would happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if he had a One guy would be like, oh, I didn't even realize you were wearing that. I would have punched you first. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's like when Rafiki, Rafiki would come out of nowhere. And just be like, thank God, we took the Puka Shed night, close And then Wildebeest would just start popping out of it with a cameo. Simba. Exactly. So, you know, bring up to Lion King, because that's what's going to happen. We knew we were going to talk about Lion King at Monkeys some point. Shit. Oh, I actually, I get very mad about the Lion King sometimes. What is your, what is your hatred towards uh, the Lion King? The fact that most, I, I, it's so stupid, but a lot of those animals would never get along. <laughs> I get it. It's a Disney movie, and this is me just being quite a, a, spe a, a specific person. But also, uh, Simba went in that. What's that one? You know when he when he leaves and mm -hmm. you know he he runs away. Yeah. And he goes from like the bush to the desert to the jungle. Yep. 
and comes back. I'm like, uh, did you just go to four different ecosystems? Because <laughs> that's like, you went from South Africa to Kenya to yeah. Namibia to Uganda, Rwanda, then you came back home. That's a lot. Like, how long so much you walking for? Yeah. yeah, just, he didn't age. <laughs> I mean, I guess black don't crack, but you know. That's, yeah. <laughs> either way, I just have some questions for the producers of, of Lion King. What's a specific animal duo in that? Or animals that like definitely you've seen not get along in real life. Oh, um, pretty much all of them. Yeah. But uh, uh, hyenas and lions. Yeah. That does not happen. They, would, would they wouldn't have, be kicking it. Yeah. That would never happen. Scar, even as much of a dick as he was, even the hyenas wouldn't hang out with him. Yeah. And <laughs> vice versa. So that was not going to happen. Uh, Timon and Pumbaa. Very unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really see a, a warthog and, and, and a meerkat hanging out. They live in also different ecosystems. Right, right. Um, maybe, you know, you never know. Uh, well, there's, that could there's, that, uh, there's that whole social media series where it's like unlikely friendships. And it's all those animals. <laughs> and there's, they have to have at least tried, probably unorganically, to make... What is it? It's a warthog and what is the... An America. An America. They've probably tried to make that happen mm-hmm. just to like some no. weird fan base of Lion King. And there's yeah. probably these fucked up videos of just the warthog like murdering uh, that war- Warthogs are first off, they don't take any shit. Yeah. And uh, they are very skittish. So I don't see them in the meerkats. No, meerkats. Nah, meerkats hang out with meerkats. Yeah, they hang yeah. out with a bunch of other meerkats. That's their thing. They don't hang out with other, <laughs> with other animals. Warthogs, you will see with other animals. Yeah, okay. Not meerkats. Meerkats are very, uh, they're very bougie. They're kind of the bougie bitches of the desert, if you will. <laughs> Their meerkat manner was all about this, right? Exactly. Yeah. They made a show about it, right? <laughs> right. It was like there, the housewives no, no of warthog, this. But... You know, like, show it all. No, no, yeah. no. The housewives of meerkat manner. Yeah. They all drive tiny Range Rovers. <laughs> Popping out of the holes in the ground, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. Um, what is, I, I came across this when I looked at your name up online, Young Travel Professionals. Oh, yes. Can you tell um, us about Young Travel Professionals and what's it all about? I heard you are a co-founder, correct? Yeah, um, I'm the co-founder of Young Travel Professionals. Um, it is an organization that uh, myself and a few other friends made about... Uh, almost six years ago now, and uh, it focuses on um, creating a community for young people in the travel industry, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what section of the industry you're in, whether you're in hotels or airlines or uh, on the tour operations or travel agency seaside like myself, mm-hmm. uh, and bringing us together. So we do networking events, uh, we do sponsored uh, you know, uh, fundraisers, we help people find jobs, mm-hmm. we help companies find employees. Um, you know, we host trips around the world to educate pro- uh, travel professionals about uh, destinations that they will sell, you know, to the end mm-hmm. users, things like that. So um, it started off actually kind of as a joke six years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, we've actually grown to the largest organization specifically based for young people in travel. No in travel industry. Yeah. Um, it was originally started because uh, back in those years ago, before we started it, mm-hmm. a lot of me and my friends, 
there weren't a lot of young people in travel. This is just right after the recession. Yeah, you know, right. we were all broke. It was great times. Yeah, that. <laughs> everyone was having a good time. Everyone was having a great time, especially if you were selling luxury travel. Yeah, which um, everyone wanted to buy when yeah, they were yeah, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I got no calls. Uh, it was great times, great times. Noodles were uh, a staple yeah, sure. at that time. Uh, noodles and dollar pizza. Right, right. Um, but I was with some friends, and we always joked that we would go to these events. And we were always the young, youngest people there. By, at these uh, travel events. At these tra- yeah, travel networking mm-hmm. events, you know, for uh, Africa sellers or things like that. And uh, so we had this joke that, you know, one day we were going to do our own event. Mm-hmm. And so I actually was on safari with, with my friend uh, Dave at the time. And we said, you know, listen, when we get back to New York, let's throw this, let's, you know, call a couple of other friends in travel. Let's put together this one mixer. Mm-hmm. And we threw it. And, you know, we I maybe knew about 20 people, you know, below the age of 30 in travel. Right. And we told everybody, listen, just call your friends, tell them to call their friends. Um, uh, very much like that song, tell your friends to call my friends. <laughs> Maybe we can be friends. Right? <laughs> Do exactly. <it> every week. <laughs> and that's basically, that's basically the thesis of, of what happened. So, <laughs> the lyrics of that song. <laughs> Thanks, Diddy. Um, but, uh, so we, we called, you know, said, let's do this one event, and 75 people showed up. We expected Damn. maybe 30. And 75 people showed up, and, uh, and there's people from all different parts of the industry, mm-hmm. all below 30. And so we threw another one, and about 150 people show up the next month. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're like, okay, who are these people? And then we said, okay, let's just throw one more, just to see. Yeah. And we had just under 200 people show up, just in New York alone, to this wow. one event in this bar, within the three-month period. So we knew we had something then, and then from there grew to about 17 different chapters uh, in North America, in the States and in Canada, and in London and in Cape Town, South Africa. You guys are everywhere now. Yeah, so we get around. We get around. That's, um, that's fantastic. So what, what can people do to get involved with Young Travel Professionals? Uh, they go to youngtravelprofessionals.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's our website. They can join there. Uh, you uh, join the chapter in your city. Uh, if there's no uh, chapter in your city, join the global chapter. Uh, and they can you know, get involved with us digitally. They can come to our events. Uh, you know, they can reach out to us if they need any help with any type of travel questions, whether that's booking a trip for yourself or getting into the industry, anything in between. Uh, and yeah, just kind of reach out to us and let us know, you know what interests you about travel. And so are these people, do you have to be specifically working in travel or is it a lot of times like people who are interested in maybe having a future of a profession in travel? Well, we're, we are, YTP is geared towards people that work in the travel industry. Right. But at the same time, um, you know, if we know people are looking for, you know, help with a trip or whatever, something mm-hmm. in the travel uh, uh, spectrum that we can help with, then, you know, we'll, you know, we'll do our best to find, you know, direct them in the right way or the direct, in the right direction. I see. I should say. So, yeah, that's what we do. The reason why I like bringing, or I want to bring more people on this podcast who work in travel is because I don't think people know it's an option. Or Absolutely. they, they don't realize, like, the job that you have, I think a lot of people don't realize that that job even exists. Yeah. That's, um, that was a big portion of what uh, spurned us to bring on uh, YTP, mm-hmm. was the fact that a lot of us didn't even know in the industry the other jobs that existed and uh, the jobs that our friends were doing. But at the same time, in general, I mean, I studied hospitality, mm-hmm. and I did, I'm not doing any of the jobs I was trained to do from the four years I studied in university. Mm-hmm. Not to knock what I studied, but there are so many other opportunities that just aren't advertised, they're not promoted. You just kind of have to know and have to fall into this amazing um, world of the travel industry. 
and you know see all the opportunities that that are available. Yeah. And you don't need to have a degree. You don't need to, um, you know, have studied in in school for years. You just really need to have a passion mm-hmm. and use whatever your talents are and apply that to a certain occupation within the industry. Excellent. Yeah. What are your thoughts on? these Instagram models and these Instagram travelers. Do you, do you appreciate the fact that they are, they're going around and showing these you know, different cities to other people mm-hmm. or do you think it's bad for the travel industry? I think it's great for the it's travel good. industry actually. Um, I think what they're doing, and, and I do it too. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not on the model status. <laughs> I, I think you have to be over like 5,000 5, followers for that one. Is that right? <laughs> uh, maybe, I'm just gonna throw out that number to know that's not what I'm hitting. Um, <laughs> But uh, I think it's great, you know. Yeah. We have so many people now um, showing off the travel, showing off travel in whole different perspectives, mm-hmm. and for so many different de- types of demographics. And uh, it's bringing a lot more people in and getting more people a lot more jazzed up about seeing destinations. Yep. So I think they're doing great. Uh, it's really now about helping people now then do it for themselves, uh, whether they're using a travel agent or they're booking it by themselves, you know, how do they get to those destinations? That's the biggest question I always get asked for my photos is how do people get uh, to the places that I've gone? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what, you know, I always try to direct them into that, uh, you know, because a lot of the places I go, you can't just do that by yourself. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and if you do, you're, you're being very adventurous. You probably want to have <laughs> someone help you. Uh, and so it's, uh, I think it's great to have these people that are showing up these destinations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's called travel inspiration a lot of the time. People, right. people put it on there as travel inspiration. I, and I think you're right. I think it absolutely works. And there is a bit of this kind of FOMO, this fear of missing out that mm-hmm. people get that might be that, you know, the straw on the camel's back that goes, okay, you know, maybe I should actually travel now. Absolutely. All these people are having a blast. I should maybe do it. If you look at a place like um, Dubai, mm-hmm. uh, that you know you can really thank the Instagram folks, and, and even back then it was a really Facebook. Instagram mm-hmm. wasn't even really out yet, but people were showing all these photos, and it was really young people right. showing all these amazing photos of them traveling through the UAE. And now, if you look at it, everyone's been. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's a certain destinations. Um, that you'll see in everyone's photos now, whether it's Machu Picchu or it's Chef Chouin in Morocco or you know it's Santorini, you know all those photos that you see in everyone's photo in, in everyone's um, uh, Instagrams. Yeah. And the one thing is to not oversaturate it, but I think that it's really great to see the people doing what they're doing uh, so far, as long as they don't you know oversaturate destinations that already have too much tourism. Right. Right. I yeah. like that take on it. Yeah. Are there any, what's the one city, maybe you have posted about it, maybe you haven't, what's the one city that you think people should travel to more or should be more on the, on the map for Ooh, travelers? City specifically? Yeah. Okay. Um, Ooh, that's, that's very hard. <laughs> I've been to a lot of cities. Uh, Johannesburg. Okay. Actually, that's the one I would say. Um, the reason that I say that is because um, Johannesburg in South Africa had a really bad rap for a lot of years uh, because of crime in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of that, a lot of people now don't feel like they should go. And if they uh, do want to go, they're, deci- they're told not to go because they're told that it's still dangerous and there's crime and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, that is so far from the truth that anyone who goes will experience that. Uh, and so that's one place I, I just absolutely love. Uh, if you live in New York especially, it's, mm-hmm. it's New York and Africa. 
Is that right? Uh, and so if you want art and culture and young people just doing very vibrant things, I mean, from the shopping to the art to the music to just the culture, uh, it's fantastic and it's such an amazing city. Uh, the history, of course, as well, going back, um, you know, from the apartheid movement uh, all the way through to, uh, you know, to the new South Africa, also make it, you know, a must-see as a destination. But for young people, like us, right now, Joburg is just such an amazing hip city. Do you have a specific place for someone to go to there that people maybe wouldn't know about? Either you know, a restaurant, a bar, any sort of landmark? I do. Uh, there's a place called Maboneng. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, it's a creative art, art, artist district. It's a creative area district for, that's been rejuvenated. So it's a lot of young businesses, um, food, art, culture, music. Uh, fashion mm -hmm. is all coming out of this area of the Mabuneng uh, area right now. So that's where people need to go, hands Excellent. down. Um, I was just there in in, uh, in June last year, and they have this amazing graffiti art tour you can do now with these amazing artists down there. And you know, you're going to the restaurants and popping in and buying your clothes and having you know coffee at the little cafes and your beers while you're doing this amazing graffiti tours. Oh, wow. And that alone, you know, it's two hours of what you would spend in eight hours in the area. Yeah. And that alone was worth it to me. It really does sound like a, a cool New York vibe. Absolutely. Artsy. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Mabo Nang. Yeah. Okay. Listeners, go to Mabo Nang. Yeah. Make that happen. Do you have any favorite travel story? I mean, you told us, you told <laughs> us the, the romantic story about the monkeys. Well, you know, um, I feel like I had to do something for you for the backpackers, please. Right, because uh, you know the, a lot of a lot of your listeners are hopefully the backpacking type. So, yeah. um, my last backpacking trip, I think it was it was my the last one. I think I'll be doing for a while. <laughs> right. I've I've, uh, I've I've hit another level of travel now, <laughs> but uh, it was definitely I think my best and favorite trip I've ever done in my entire life. Mm. Um, so, like I said, I used to live in China, and so I was there when the Olympic Committee. Uh, gave the bid to China to, to, for the Olympics in 2008. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my friends uh, who I grew up with from the 90s all the way to 2000s, into the 2000s, um, and made an agreement that after you graduated, because we were this, the year of 04, mm -hmm. uh, we were, we were going to graduate uh, and that we were going to graduate college later and then all before we you know, went to take our last jobs, we were going to come to China and celebrate our graduation from university and becoming adults and go to the Olympics and just go crazy mm -hmm. and have one last crazy reunion hurrah. Um, this is maybe about 400 kids have made this pledge. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, all different groups of every, you know, different crews, everything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, of my group of friends, about, I want to say about 80 maybe showed up. Okay. For, these, for about two, two to three months. Wow. All different times. And um, a few of my friends, me and three other friends, decided that we were going to backpack right before the Olympics started. Mm -hmm. So we arrived, spent a few days in Beijing, you know, catching up with everybody, right. then packed our bags and said, let's go as far south as we can in China um, bef before we run out of money and before the Olympics starts on, uh, I believe it was uh, the 8th of July. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, 8th of July. And so we did that. And uh, it was the funny thing with the story you understand is that we also all spoke Mandarin. We still mm -hmm. speak a little bit Mandarin at this time. But you've got me, obviously, six foot three black dude. Mm -hmm. uh, one guy who is uh, uh, a white Australian who, with hair loose like a lion's mane. 
uh, a Finnish guy uh, who looks just straight up like a Viking. Uh, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then another guy who's Norwegian and Canadian is tall like me, skinny, but he's, but he's also Vietnamese. So any uh, Chinese person from the South who's never seen foreigners before, mm-hmm. who's like, I just can't tell what you are. <laughs> it's just confusing. I don't know. You, you look like us, but I don't, I'm it's not off. sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. So... So that was great. So we decided let's just leave from China, let's leave from Beijing, mm-hmm. and just take planes, trains, automobiles, and rickshaws. Love that all the way down. Um, and over two weeks, uh, we made our way down. The first city we hit is Xi'an, uh, which is China's ca- first capital that they had. And um, you know, we get there and we we're riding around the city wall. That's where the terracotta warriors are. Mm-hmm. We're doing all these amazing sights, and it was just fantastic. We're meeting other backpackers in these amazing hostels. Actually, the best hostel I ever went to was in Xi'an. I forget the name of it, but it was about 20 minutes from apparently the best club in, in, in Xi'an, mm-hmm. uh, which we also got into, and I, I convinced people I was Yao Ming's buddy, because I could speak <laughs> Chinese, and, and, we, and we, they looked like a basketball player. Yeah, sure. Because I wore basketball shorts and was black. Um, <laughs> listen, sometimes you gotta take it. If, you, <laughs> if it works out for you, take it. Use it. <laughs> I definitely used it, and they believe me. Um, but then we went to a place called Chongqing, mm-hmm. um, which is the gateway to the Yangtze River. Okay. A lot of people don't know this about China, but China gets ridiculously hot in the summertime. Like it makes New York in July look like uh, like a like a leisure boat cruise. Is it is, is it hot and humid? It's humid yeah. as just death. Yeah. And it's death humid. And hence why you're wearing basketball shorts to a club. Basketball shorts and, and a tank top to everywhere I go, even the fancy restaurants. And so we got on this boat, and uh, sorry, right before we got on the boat, we are uh, we go to this restaurant. It's us four friends, and uh, it's a little gutter gutter restaurant somewhere that you would put in like the Lower East Side, mm-hmm. you know, behind the alley. That you you know, it's got the B grade rating on it. One of those. Yeah. So we get there and uh, we, we ordered the usual dishes that we order in northern China. Mm-hmm. The, the big thing is Chongqing is kind of the border between northern and southern China. So the food gets spicier. I see. So we order these same dishes. And, um, and first off, the staff are just shocked that we're speaking to them in Mandarin. Mm-hmm. And that we're ordering things. And, and they're asking us, you know, are you sure you want to eat this? And we're like, yes, of course. We want to eat this food. Mm-hmm. All again, all in Mandarin. So yeah. they're freaking out. That we're speaking Mandarin, <laughs> let alone that we're ordering these dishes that like they order at home. They think they're getting punked or something. Yeah, and they're like, what's what's going on? And we're like, just give us the Jingjiang Rose, give us you know the Chami Fan, all these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they're like Liang Pijo, uh, which is beer, mm-hmm. and um, ordering all these things. And they just they come and they give it to us, and they they sit there and just watching us as we eat. And we think it's kind of weird, but we've been to other towns in China where this happens. Mm-hmm. So. They're just watching us intently as we chew on the food and we take about maybe five bites each. And each of us just looks at each other and you've seen like the hell <laughs> is, is, is in your stomach and working its way out of its, into your eyeballs. Oh, no. And they're just giggling at us. <laughs> and this is day one of the next seven days of going yeah. through southern China right. of ordering food. And um, by the end of it, basically, uh, our, our tongues were, the, the nerves were, were damaged. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, we, but we made it to Shanghai. <laughs> Where we met up with some other friends from old high school. You made it all the way down to Shanghai. We made it all the way to Shanghai. Oh my gosh. Uh, we even missed planes, everything. There was a whole bunch of stuff that happened on this trip. I, I would need a whole other hour on this sure, podcast. Yeah. But made it down there and, and saw some of the most amazing nature, art, people, food. 
mm-hmm. uh, everything in every single city we stopped in. And because we were able to speak Mandarin, it really helped. Uh, a lot of the locals we met along this along these trips had never met, let alone uh, a group of kids that could speak uh, foreigners that spoke Mandarin, mm-hmm. let alone people that were black and white and, and whatever Vikings, my friend yeah. was, <laughs> Vikings that all spoke Mandarin and were willing to hang out with them. And they were just they took us into their homes. But made it to Shanghai and made it back the day before, on the, the the day the Olympics started, and we get there. The climax of the story is we get there to my friend's apartment, uh, and we'd all grown up since we were in fifth grade. Get to his apartment, and there's about forty of us, all playing King's Cup. Um, I know it's got a lot of different names in in America, but I'm sure King's Cup for you. You know I'm talking about. So we played that to watch the opening ceremony come up and it was the most amazing I made it by 45 minutes the opening ceremony oh my god for the Olympics and we're playing King's Cup and I get there and, and it's 40 of my best friends that I grew up with uh, you know uh, all back in, in China mm-hmm. right before we have our last two months before we have to go and be adults and the things I saw on this trip all on the way that two weeks before and to get back there and do this experience for the next month was just out of this world um, and so, yeah, that was by far the best backpacking trip. What a climax. Oh my God. What a way. Yeah. <laughs> You're basically running, like you were one missed bus away oh, from yeah. missing it. Well, we actually did miss our, we missed our train. Did you really? We missed our train from Shanghai. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to mention the part. We missed the train, so I'd, we had to buy the last minute tickets. And we had to take it as six-hour train from Shanghai to Beijing. Oh, uh, and we just made it. And you guys just. came in and and this group is already there playing King's Cup. Like, everyone's I, I, already, like, I welcoming took my you cards. there. I took my cards and joined in the game. I actually got the King's Cup, <laughs> which is the worst part of the story. Uh, I didn't die, but yeah. I came close. You, after your taste buds got burnt off, it Everything actually worked out. I think out. that's okay. why I didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the spicy food from the South saved you. Absolutely. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have definitely just like up chucked Kamalud everywhere. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> that's my favorite story I've heard so far. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Well, any, any final words? We've got a Hostel Homies advice section. Any oh, final yeah. words, whether someone's going backpacking, whether they're going on a luxury trip? Um, yeah, I'd say, you know, uh, just keep your, right, just, you know, keep your options open of everything you do. Um, as much as we love to always go back to the same places, change it up, see everything new, go to every continent, meet the people, you know, travel like a local, whether you want to be a backpacker or you want to be luxury and just, you know, see everything you can in the limited amount of time that we have. That's perfect. Thank you for listening to Hostel Homies. This has been Wajadube and Joe Glasgow.